Good morning. Yeah, I am so excited about this message because I've already preached it once and I've already heard what God has said through it, and it's pretty exciting. And my hope is that we would be able to engage with what the Word has to say, that passage that Ruth read, some testimonies, and another passage in the text. We've been walking through a series called Live by the Spirit. And the idea of this series is we talk a lot about growing into the likeness of Jesus. We can say it over and over. We want to be sanctified. We want to have spiritual growth. We want to have Christ-likeness. But we want to define what we meant, which means we're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. So every week, we've been talking about a different attribute of the fruit of the Spirit. We've totally done them out of order, which is totally okay. But this week in particular, as we are going holistically through what all the fruit of the Spirit is, not fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Today, the specific attribute that we're going to be talking about is patience. And there's not a person in this room that hasn't had their patience tried. There's not a person in this room that hasn't had to go through a circumstance or situation that has grown you in patience or grown you in frustration. And I would say for the average person, patience is probably the most difficult attribute or virtue of the fruit of the Spirit. But in a very optimistic spiritual perspective, it is also the most genuine and obvious work of the Spirit of God inside of us. I've been an impatient person. I know many of you are shocked by that. I want things sooner rather than later. I often want to microwave things when they really need to be put in an oven for a slow burn. So let's look at what the definition of patience is. We'll start with Webster's Dictionary, which says, Patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. It's not bad. But the biblical definition, what the Greek word that's used for patience or long-suffering is this, the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper without becoming irritated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe, I can't say that word. What is that word? Provocation. Thank you. It's not like I speak for a living. And the self-control which keeps one from acting rashly, even though suffering opposition or adversity. Chuck Swindoll, the great preacher, said it this way, true patience is waiting without worrying. So today, we're going to look at the Christian life and how patience plays a part because the Christian life is about hope and the patience leading up to that hope. And when patience is being produced, it is obvious that it is a work of the Holy Spirit because it does not come natural to people. We have countless cliches, sayings, and stories that accentuate how important and beneficial patience is. The tortoise and the hare comes to mind. It's a great example, which most of us know the moral of the story, right? What's the moral of the story of the tortoise and the hare? Slow and steady wins the race, which seems against a culture that wants everything right now and would rather do things quick than well. But with this patience comes the underlying tone that Christians are running a race one that is a marathon, one that is a tough mutter, one that is a Spartan race, rather than just a sprint down the street. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth throughout many of the chapters before has just been doing some stupid stuff. I cannot believe people in the church do stupid stuff. Can you? 
And Paul is rebuking it and he's challenging it and he's just talked about what it means to be all things to all people. And then we come to this verse. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Races in the Olympic Games were something that the the Greek understood. They were familiar with the Olympics, and this analogy spoke to right where they were. And Paul knew that those who understood races knew that they understood that winning the race was the point, either your first or your last, Ricky Bobby. So Paul encourages the Christian in their walk to really make it a run, because Paul, of all people, understood the marathon, which is the Christian life. He knew that there had to be some type of comparison so that Christians would not treat it as a fleeting sprint or something that would not require practice or much energy or any training. I've said this before, but being a lazy Christian is an oxymoron. But there is this tension that we must live in. Our works do not justify us. I actually need you to say that back to me, all right? Our works do not justify us. Okay, so our works don't justify us, but we are saved unto works. We are saved unto do things for the Lord God Almighty, and we are saved to work diligently unto the Lord. We run the race as if to win, and yet not all of us will win or run in such a way that the world would consider it a win, where we'll always be effective, where we'll always be perfect in what we're doing. But when our motivation is to put more effort than we can in our own strength. When we are willing to serve the Lord Jesus, when it is in opposition to how the world would have us do things where we're trying to get leisure and comfort and pleasure, God gets made much of. When Christians work hard in their workplaces and in their homes and in society and can point the motivation to obedience rather than accolades, justification, or egotism, Jesus gets glory. You hear me? So we ought to work diligently unto the Lord because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. But in order to do that, it's going to require patience, church. One that is completely okay with others not getting it. One that's completely okay with why would you go to worship practice once a week and then play on a Sunday and spend all this time doing all this service. It's going to require patience of other people as they don't get it. But to be patient with others, to be diligent in our work ethic without expectation of worthy recognition requires patience and it requires an eternal perspective. All the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit require an eternal perspective. But patience in particular is the one that without an eternal perspective will never ever be genuine fruit of the Spirit. So as one runs a marathon race, which is the Christian life, we must start with our motivation for our effort. Hear me, we have to actually think about why we do what we do. Is it because we're attempting to validate ourselves because of what we can do? Or is it because we are so devoted to Jesus Christ? We understand that he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We understand that he saved us by grace. Is it because we are so devoted to Jesus that doing the will of the Father is why we breathe, why we live, and why we have our being? I want to be that, but I'm not always, probably ever. I want to grow to look more like Jesus. I want to look more like him. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games, goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So first we start with the motivation of our effort, and then we need to look at how we go about our Christian life. Are we training or are we getting by? Can I I talk candidly? Would that be okay? Would anyone mind if I was just real honest from the pulpit? The term that makes me cringe when a Christian is asked how they're doing. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's not blessed, even though, kind of. You ready? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Listen, Christians, those of you who have committed to Christ, if you haven't committed to Christ yet, Glad you're here. Kick the tires. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. God's not too big for any of your questions. But Christians, you were not redeemed by the creator of life. You were not saved by the master of the universe or made the temple in which the spirit of God resides in and makes you holy so you would just hang in there. This was done so you would take ground for the king, that you would make a difference for the Lord Jesus because you were saved on purpose for a purpose to make much of Jesus. Don't miss that. You were saved on purpose for a purpose to make much of Jesus. We don't hang in there, children of God. We take ground for the king because we are residents of the kingdom of God. We don't hang in there. So everyone, Paul says, who competes, everyone who is, but yet everyone who has taken residence in the kingdom of God, they specifically are in training, known as this Christian life, known as the sanctification process. So when we say we are growing to look more like Jesus, we are in training to be glorified. We are working towards our Christ-likeness. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It is training that person that's required you to have extra grace to them, that is training for your glorification. Growing to look more like Jesus is training for our future glorification. If glorification is a word you're not really familiar with, it just means that one day when we die and we're in the presence of God, our bodies will be glorified. We will have a resurrected body like Jesus, but we are growing towards that. That does not happen in this life because we are in training for that. So for those who compete in a race, They are competing for a prize. And for those that aren't competing for the prize for the Lord Jesus, not to earn it, but because you've already been saved by him and you want to work diligently unto him, for those that are competing for a prize, that reward will perish. But there is nothing in this world. Hear me. There is nothing in this world that will be a better reward than Christ's likeness and an eternity with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Literally nothing will be better than that. So when others are attempting to attain material possessions or fame, it will pale in comparison in knowing and being known by our triune God. Verse 26, therefore, Paul says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Therefore, as we've spoken before, as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit, we've talked about self-control, to be controlled. Do not flounder all about or run without purpose, but live this life with trust that your effort and your worth matter to God. So look at me, look at me, please. You matter to God. You do. Too often we think we don't matter because someone didn't like a picture that we posted or because someone was rude to us or someone just doesn't like our shoes and we think that we don't matter, but we matter to God. 
and our effort matters to God. It doesn't justify us, but it shows that we've been justified if we're working unto him. So Christians, don't just hang in there. Take ground. Do not flounder all about or run without purpose, but live this life with trust that your effort and your worth matter to God as long as your effort is not done to satisfy your sin, but because you have received the gift of the Son. That's why we work diligently. Verse 27, Paul says, No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul speaks of this disciplining of his body that takes place as we train and grow in this Christian life. And patience, hear this, is a discipline. Patience, I got it. Patience is a discipline. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, is an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, and it requires time and effort to grow in this. But more than that, and don't miss this because we tease this all the time, but I want this point to take to root in you. God always uses circumstances to grow us in the ways that he sees fit. You picking up what I'm putting down? You pray for patience, God gives you four kids. I'm just saying. So if you know God wants to grow you in patience, know that opportunities for patience are coming if you like it or not. But when you have an eternal perspective, your efforts are worship to the Lord God Almighty because you know him, you love him, and you obey him when you have an eternal perspective. So your effort matters. What you do matters, and you matter to God, and God is patient with you, isn't he? And so with that, what I wanna do is I actually wanna invite two very close friends of mine who I've had the opportunity to know for a few years now. We've done a lot of ministry together, and they are married, and they are close personal friends. In fact, uh, Stephen is my best friend, and he is an amazing example of character, of humility, and leadership in his home, in this church, and in his profession. I'll let him tell you what he does. Erin Cheney is our worship director. She is an amazingly gifted worshiper. Did you hear what I just said? She's an amazing gifted worshiper. Not just worship leader, but worshiper. And she equips others. So with that, would you guys please welcome up Stephen and Aaron Cheney. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to go sit down. Here's my question, Cheneys. Uh, we've been doing ministry together. We've known each other for a while, and we're talking about patience. So would you both share with others how God has worked in and through you and how he has uh, produced patience in you and what the journey has been like over the past few years in particular? Okay. Uh, so... so. <laughs> We were super excited when Tim approached us and asked if we would talk about patience because it's like such a good topic and we're so good at it. So I thought, yeah, we could talk about that, right? And, and then like he just said, if you pray for patience or you're teaching on patience, God's going to test you on patience. He hasn't given us four kids, thank the Lord. Uh, but this one tests me patiently every day. And so I'm getting better at it every day. <laughs> just kidding. So um, with that being said, yeah, I, Forgive me when I'm nervous. I do some sketchy things at work, but this makes me way more nervous than what I do at work. You can talk about me later. Talk them, about it later. Tell them what you do so they know. I work for the sheriff's office, and I do 
you can talk about it later. That's not important. But this makes me way more nervous. So, but as Aaron and I were talking, we were discussing, like, how are we going to talk about patience? How, how are we going to approach that and not make it about us and um, point people to Jesus? And she brought up, a, like, it was my aha moment during our, our discussions of it. And she was saying, well, we act, we're, everything we're coming up with, and we came up with all these things that we were being patient with, it made us sound like victims. So every time it was, oh, look at us, look at how patient we've been, and it was like a total victim card. And she said, maybe God is being patient with us during this time. And it was like this, oh, yeah, God has to be patient with us because we don't get it often. Uh, so that brings us to the first part of our story, and it's kind of three parts, and the church that I grew up in and Aaron had gone to for over 10 years, uh, we, had, we had gone to this church, we poured into this church, our kids grew up in the church, and we felt like we were doing church well. And I would say if we had to describe it, we were hanging in there. Uh, we did Sunday mornings, we did Wednesday nights youth group, small groups and missions trips, and we tithed, and Aaron was on worship team, and we were on committees, and um, committees, a lot of committees. We're on committees to set up committees, so it was like pretty committee-centric. <laughs> and uh, so that whole time we were, we were doing church, we were hanging in there, and we, we felt like we were doing good things. And I think that if you look back on it, and it's easier to look back on things and say, this is how I've grown, this is how I've changed. But I believe that we were working to justify ourselves and doing all the good church things that you're supposed to do. And then when you're not at church, try to be good too. And we had this stirring the last year, so we were there and just unsettled that there should, we need to be called to, we're called to more and we're not doing it. And what does that look like? So there's a lot of confusion and frustration in that because we weren't sure what that was, but we just, we were both had this stirring that there was more to be done. And that's when our church hosted the Compelled Training and Tim, my best friend and who I called it Jim this morning at first service, because I'm, again, very nervous to be up here. Jim put on this great training, and um, it kind of finally put words to our frustration and kind of gave us like a way to describe it. And through Tim's friendship and him discipling me and the compelled training that we are called to make disciples, and we're called to make disciples throughout the world and generations. And that's not going out to make Christians, because that's kind of how I grew up believing is you go to church, and then you, when you're not at church, you make Christians. And that's not our job. That's up to God. God's looking for our obedience to doing that and to teach and to teaching and making disciples, but not our effectiveness, because if it was our effectiveness, we would all fail. So um, with that obedience, it started to become more frustrating that now we have words to describe why we're, why we're unsettled, but we still weren't doing it. And the church that we were at, it was full of traditions, and traditions aren't bad unless they're not pointing people to Jesus. And I, we felt stuck in this rut of just being comfortable. And it was comfortable because all our friends were there and all of our family and uh, our community. And so that kind of brings us to the next part of our little journey. But that was like God being patient with us. Uh, we, we can play that victim card and say, we were patient in all these ways when we were there. But ultimately, it was God being patient with us as we finally got it. I remember very vividly there was a night as our friendship with the Rileys was growing where Tim invited us out to dinner. And at the dinner, we just started dreaming out loud. Like, what would it look like to do church the way that they did back in Acts? You know, take away the building 
and everything that we kind of know, what, when we get down to the basics, what would that look like? And it was such a fun conversation and also really scary because we're like, man, this is like, I don't know anything like this, you know? Later that night, Stephen and I just stayed up all night talking about it. Like, man, that'd be crazy. That'd be so cool. Like, oh my gosh, that seems right, you know? I don't know. And so that was just that night in that conversation, the Lord used that as a seed that was planted in our hearts and literally it just grew. And over the next couple of months, we started praying and that stirring, it was like this, we couldn't run from it. It just kept growing. And so we spent a couple months just praying, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? And eventually he brought us to this call and it was the scariest and the biggest step of faith that we've ever had to take together. And he had called us to step away from our church. And that not only meant, you know, stepping away from our church, but that was all of our friends. I mean, like 10 years, it takes a long time for me to make friends. That was 10 years of friendships. I had them honed in and I had to walk away, you know, Um, most of Stephen's family goes to that church. So that was our friends, our family, And probably one of the harder things is our positions in ministry. Uh, We walked away from that. And so we stepped into the unknown. And I think that whenever I envision Jesus, like, calling us out onto the waters, you know, that's scary. You step out of the boat onto the water, kind of crazy. Jesus is there. And then I just expected land, like, right away. And there was no land. We didn't know where we were. We were kind of in this wilderness, but it was... It was so sure that it was Jesus calling us there. And so what we did is for a couple months, we met in our backyard with the Rileys and a couple other couples, and we just went back to basics. We based our gatherings on Acts 2, and so it will be up on the screen. I'll just read this quickly for us. Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's exactly what... What started to happen, the Lord just kept bringing more people, and very quickly we outgrew our backyard. And so the Lord then led us over to Trinity Church, where the pastor Joel there is such a godly man, so open-handed with all of his resources. He's a great friend of Tim. And so he said, you guys are welcome to meet here for free. I mean, that's just unheard of. And so uh, our gathering met. More and more people came. Some of you here were part of that, and we called ourselves Compelled Together. And Compelled Together, if I could describe it, it would it would be so, it was such an exciting and scary time. It was so stretching, but so awesome at the same time. And during that season, the Lord revealed in us, I think, some, some Pharisee-type tendencies of the heart. One of those was we didn't meet on Sunday mornings. We met on Wednesday night, which meant we had nowhere to be on Sunday mornings. We kind of would float from church to church, or there were even a couple Sundays where we didn't go to church. 
Like, that felt so weird. And so the Lord had to reveal um, that in our hearts. Like, does it really matter what day it is? Another one was being misunderstood by family and, and friends. We got remarks like, oh, yeah, I, I see you left because the grass is greener. That really hurt because we sacrificed it all, you know. And another thing that the Lord grew and stretched us in was holding our plan with open hands. As Tim asked me to, you know, lead worship there, I was so used to having all the songs structured out, knowing exactly how many minutes I had, and you just followed the plan. But uh, the Holy Spirit used Tim to show me what it meant to hold plans with open hands and truly just follow his spirit. So giving up that control. So it was really a season of the Lord reteaching us who he was and how to be led by his spirit. And I will say one of the best things for me during that season was as a wife, just getting to see Stephen worship. I feel like he's not, you know, he's not the most expressive person. He's not going to be up dancing in the aisles and stuff. Well, maybe one day, I don't know. <laughs> Today? No. Um, but it was just so neat because I... I saw the Lord working in him, and it was like he just connected his head with his heart. And so getting to see that as his wife was just, oh, I'm going to cry. But it was just good. It was good. And then just seeing him have opportunities to lead and grow and using the gift of wisdom that the Lord often blesses him with uh, is just awesome. Our notes say, tell sweet things about Aaron here. So <laughs> I guess that's my turn. <laughs> just kidding. It doesn't say that. Uh, but I've got to see Aaron grow in in such a remarkable way that could only be from God. Because i got to see her her worship leading um, from the beginning when she didn't know how to play guitar. And from not playing guitar to, like, very soon after leading at our former church and then leading at Compelled. And then here, just to see her lead and equip others has been remarkable and really awesome to watch and watch the Holy Spirit working through her and her being sensitive to that. So everything wasn't perfect there. It wasn't all uh, butterflies and kisses at compelled together. I, <laughs> beer and Skittles, I don't know, another analogy. So, it, but we were supernaturally united and it was united not that we all had the same the same ideas for everything we did because we came from such different backgrounds, but it was, we were all in pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. And that made it um, super fun. And, but during that time, there was a stirring in Tim's heart to be in Santa Clara. And because he was our leader, it was a stirring and compelled together to be in Santa Clara and to be in this city. And so that stirring started going again. And as we prayed through that, the opportunity to be the lead pastor at COV came up and we we left our church and came here to, to join, and that was uh, not easy. It was a very hard time because we had come from, well, Aaron and I had come from a church of traditions. We had left that to compelled together where it was kind of more free, and, um, and then to look into the future, if you, if you can, to, to see this church and say, man, this church is full of traditions just like the other one. And that was super hard for us to realize, like, God was in this. But because of the way he orchestrated it, we just knew and we trusted and we trusted in leadership and we trusted that God had his hand in this. So we came here, but it was not easy here. And I think this is in our journey where kind of we can, you can 
when you're in it again, you're, you're playing that victim card, how we've been so patient, but I think it was on both ends of the people that were here. And then the people that had come with us from compelled together. One of the things that stuck in our heads was when we left um, meeting in Trinity in Sunnyvale as compelled together, we decided we are no longer compelled together. We were coming to this church and we were going to be part of COV. And it wasn't immediately recognized when we came here. It was kind of us and them. And often I'd hear people refer to us as, oh, you just compelled together. People want this. And it was like, no, we left that. And it was frustrating and trying on patience. But I think that there was, there was patience being tried on the people that were here too. There was traditions that this church had that um, some were good and some were not. Some were not um, pointing people to Jesus. And, that, and that's hard to break tradition, especially when you've been doing it for a long time. One of the things that I thought was kind of funny was when we came, because of the way these seats are sat, uh, we sat in people's seats that had been sitting in these seats for decades. And we were, we were there, and there was like kids sitting in their seats. But it was exciting to see that the hearts were starting to change, even early on, even though it was hard. They were like, it's super exciting. Somebody's sitting in my seat. Like, you don't get that in some churches. It's just more like, you're in my seat. You got to get out of here, right? But like, they were excited. Like, there's more people here. There's people praising Jesus. And so it was exciting. So even though it was really hard, it's exciting. It's super exciting to be this far into it now and see where, where we've come. Um, but um, I'll just quickly share that, you know, just like Stephen said, it was exciting and awesome. But to be completely frank and honest with you guys, there was a really hard season for us, um, you know, kind of more in the beginning. But I just, I don't know what it was, but it just seemed like there is this spiritual oppression and there were bits of disunity going on, and it was hard to be on campus and hear gossip and slander going on. And um, man, I there were a couple there were a couple days where I would come home from work and just cry, you know, and just cry to Stephen. I would cry to the Lord. I would I was wrestling with the Lord, like Lord, are you here? There are some days where I'd come in here when it was dark and all alone. I'd just sit on that stage and just wonder, like Lord, are you in this? I need to know that you're here because what is this tension? What is going on? And so one day when it was really bad and I wasn't really looking forward to coming to work, I got here early and the Lord had put on my heart this idea, like walk around the church like seven times and pray. I'm like, okay, that couldn't hurt. So I get here and I start walking and lap one, you know, I just feel ridiculous. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> And then, you know, lap two, I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, all right, if we're going to be real, Lord, like, I'm mad about this, and I'm hurt about this, and like, this person said this, you know, and lap three, you know, I'm still, those things are on my mind, and it wasn't until the last couple of laps where the Lord started to change my heart, and those same people or those circumstances that I was angry about, I'm starting to now say, Lord, would you bless that person? Would you help them? see you the way that I've seen you? Would you use me to be your light, even though it's really hard? And I think that if it just sums up, you know, if anything, just in our own hearts, it's showed us that he has been so good and so patient with us that we should just overflow with that same love and that same patience because we didn't deserve it. And yet he gave it, he gave it all for us. Yeah. So to sum up the third part of our journey, it, it's this, it's we're in it. So 
it's easy to 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 play that victim card, right? Like oh, I'm being so patient in this, and everybody else here isn't being so patient. But to to remind ourselves that like even in this time, God is being patient with us, and I think that's more important than personally, right? Because God's being patient with me because He's growing me, and He's growing Aaron, He's growing all of us. So to to just think about that the next time you think like woe is me like look at how great i'm being but that that god's being patient and and if he is then what is he teaching you in that time so we cut off like 3 minutes so thank you very much <laughs> thank you guys uh i was getting texts from a few people in the service as you guys were talking, so they obviously weren't paying attention, Kevin. But the uh, no, we were, we were, we were texting just about how awesome it is to hear um, the what we've been through and the story. And the cool thing is that we're not, we're not, uh, we're not the old church. We're not compelled together. We're Church of the Valley, and God's doing a really cool work. And I, I kid you not, I a woman walked up to me after first service, she said, I've been here since the church started close to 70 years ago, and I've never seen God move like this before. Yeah. And so it's so exciting, and it's encouraging to hear that the Lord's moving and just the how God's kind of orchestrated things into Cheney's life and many other families and friends and singles and, and college and young adults and not so young adults and so on and so forth. And it's just awesome that God's at work. And so I want to end our time with this. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. Who writes it? <laughs> you don't know. The Holy Spirit. Good job. And so uh, the book of Hebrews is written, no, to, uh, no one's actually absolutely positive who penned physically the book, but we trust by faith that the Holy Spirit wrote it through someone. And we trust that the Spirit of God was uh, teaching us in this book of Hebrews, which I really want to go through at some point. So now that I've said it out loud, I guess we're going to preach through it. But um, the, the whole idea is that this letter is written about the Levitical priesthood and the things that you had to do. And this author is writing in, in contrast to explain and help people understand that Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the point. It's about Jesus. And we're picking up in the middle of chapter 11. And it's known as the faith chapter. Many of us have heard about chapter 11, and it's impossible to please God without faith. And the author shares how faith manifests itself in different people throughout the Old Testament and what it is and what it does. So we're going to pick up in verse 13. Here's what it says. And these people, we'll get to that, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So who's he talking about? There's this list of people that were faithful, and the patriarchs in particular are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Throughout the Old Testament, God was referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they believed God even though it wasn't natural to do so. And the next steps were not obvious or visible, kind of like anyone remember the Billie Jean video? Michael Jackson's walking, and as you step, the, it lights up, the little plank lights up. Okay, that's for me and Liz and Ruth and Kyle and Stephen. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but you got to take the step before it will actually light up so you can see what God is doing. We see that throughout the Old Testament. And Abraham was told by God that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashores. And yet he and his wife Sarah were far past conceiving age, all right? Far past. 
Abraham trusted God when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, who had become his idol. And they didn't just believe in God, church. They believed God at his word. And it was credited to them righteousness. They got to see the foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ Jesus, living the life we couldn't, dying the death we deserved to die, and physically rising from the dead. And their faith patiently waited because they believed God had something better than even the promised land, but a heaven, an eternal resting place. They were foreigners because heaven was their eventual destination, and they knew it. And why? And what faith it took to disown all that the world had to offer for a heavenly destination that they could not see, but they did. I always wonder how patriarchs of the Old Testament, how they would see us today. What would they say to us today if Moses pulled up in here and we started to have a conversation with Moses? I wonder if Moses would go, wait, let me get this straight. You don't have to build a temple with specific specifications that the Lord has given you. You don't have a high priest that you have to tie a rope around, that as long as they are clean and, and have been absolved of their sins, they can go into the holiest of holies. But if they have sinned and they haven't repented, if there's been no sacrifice for that, they would go into the holiest of holies and they would die and we would have that rope and have to pull them out. And that was the only way we could be in the presence of God. Wait, so you don't have to build a temple, but your body is the temple? You get to have the spirit of God living inside of you? Wait, you know about the death and resurrection of the Messiah because it's already happened and you're waiting for his return from heaven? You don't have strict dietary requirements that you are expected to live by? You have God's word on paper and you leave it in the backseat of your car? Sorry. (laughs) Could, Could it be Christians that maybe, just maybe, We're taking for granted the fact that the Holy Spirit's inside of us. A preacher once said, if the Holy Spirit could and did leave us, would we even notice? And for our generation in particular, it's hard enough to wait for anything. Sex before marriage, just made that awkward. Our retirement funds to become fully vested. Some of you know what I'm talking about. To buy or sell our homes in a weird market. We are living in a society that almost feels like it celebrates impatience because the supernatural work of God producing patience in any of us is painful. It takes more time than we'd like, and sometimes it just doesn't seem worth it. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Abraham could have gone back to his earthly land of Ur, but chose not to because it would not suffice. He knew that that was not his final destination. He knew there was something better that he would get to go to. He did not fit in in this life. He was a tourist, a sojourner. He, like us, was just passing through. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, don't miss this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were longing for a better country, a heavenly destination because of their eternal perspective and their patience would be rewarded. Hear me, patience is always rewarded. 
in some way. It's always rewarded in some way. Either it's because of spiritual growth, because you've been trusting God at his word, or in a better relationship with God or with others. See, the great commandment is to love God and to love others, and the great commandment requires patience. It requires patience to love God when he doesn't seem close or you can't feel him. And it requires patience to deal with people because people will always be sanctification situations. You know what I'm talking about? But we need them. We need other people that we can rub off on and vice versa to fulfill the great commandment and to grow into the likeness of Jesus. I want God, church. I want him in this life. But real talk, I fail a lot. Like, more than I should, considering what I know. Anybody? And I don't want my life to be one that since I have been included in Christ, that God would be ashamed to be called my God. And because of Jesus, because God has accepted me right where I was, but God is so gracious and loving to me, he refused to let me stay where I was. I can live in freedom. I can live in his forgiveness because God is not ashamed to be my God because of what Jesus has done for me. I feel this more today than ever. I sat in my Pete's, hey Daniel, on Saturday. I was finishing up my slides and my notes, and this past week, I felt off all week. You ever had weeks like that? Was it this week for any of you? And, and I started to think through it. And for the past 10 years, this week, I was on a family vacation. This week, for the past 10 years, me, my wife, my kids, my in-laws, my sister-in-laws, and some extended family as well. And for some reason, this, this summer, we didn't get that. We didn't get to hang out as a family because of busyness and because of all this different stuff. And so I just felt kind of off, and I was kind of grieving, missing that. And so I'm sitting in Pete's and I'm working on my slides and I started to have this thought, I love Santa Clara. I love this city. I love this county. I love this area. I love the history. I love the people. I love the weather. I love the connectedness that I get to enjoy because I've lived in and around this area for 25 years. But the traffic's getting worse. Anyone? Can anyone testify? The house prices, mind-bending. Crime happens. Christianity is looked as a wishful thinking, closed-minded, homophobic religion that is for conservatives only. That is not the Jesus I worship. That is not the God I know. And yet I still love this city and I love this area. And yet the gospel is more important than your politics. And the gospel is more important than your finances, your personal property, and even your rights. Ooh, did he just say that? Yes, I did. The gospel is what you have been included in Christ to wield and give away through your words backed up by your actions. And because of the eternal perspective, I find joy in the patience of my salvation. When the gospel is the point, I can reflect on what God is doing. I can get out of my own press clippings and stop thinking I am the center of the world. Being a pastor is hard, y'all. Like, truly. If, if you're thinking about it, don't do it. 
But being a pastor of a church that believes that God wants to make a difference in the community, that's harder than I can even explain. It means there's a target on my back. If you're leading and pouring into other people, there's a target on your back. And Satan doesn't tend to use, and I don't give Satan credit very often, but Satan doesn't tend to use atheistic and antagonistic people. He uses the selfish, self-labeled Christians that do not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit is probably absent. So pray for your pastor. Pray for your leaders. Pray for churches in the Bay Area, not just this one, but churches in the Bay Area that we would not shrink back, but we would know that we're training for heaven. We are training for our glorification. We are training to make much of Jesus because Jesus is worth it. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask worship team to come up. I had no idea how to close the sermon, but this is how we're gonna do it. Yesterday, uh, my wife and my two sister-in-laws We celebrated a thing that we call, and there is this day, we just do it on a different day, we celebrate a thing called Sibling Day. And on Sibling Day, the four of us, it'll kind of go in succession of age, the four of us will go and someone will pick what we're doing and then they'll pay for everything. Uh, The first time we did it, uh, Aaron's sister Megan, the youngest, she paid for us to go to Great America nine years ago. We've done a whole bunch of different stuff and it's been a lot of fun. Yesterday was actually Megan's turn again. And we went and did an escape room, which we got out of. What, what? (laughs) If it was just me, toast. Oh, man, what do I do? Um, And then we did a mystery mystery dinner where we had to figure out who killed somebody. And my sister-in-law, Bryn, won, of course. Group of 50 people, she wins. And a little over, or three years ago, technically, we were gifted a cabin at Hume Lake for a week. And the Rileys and actually the Cheneys went together and we went to Hume Lake and we got to uh, play Ticket to Ride. That was the game. Do we play that? Okay, I played it with Aaron's family. That's fine. We were having this conversation. Strike that from the video. Anyway, and so, but we got to hang with them and then they went home and then Aaron's family came. And so we were at Hume Lake and so it was my wife's turn to figure out what we we're gonna do for for sibling day and pay for it. And so uh, she took us on a hike because that's free. And then we did the hike and it was fun. And then we came back and we rented paddle boards. Has anyone been to Hume Lake? Guys, okay, there's a lake at Hume Lake, obviously. (laughs) And they're paddle boards. And so my sister-in-laws, both of them, Megan and Bryn and my wife, Erin, they all jumped on the paddle boards. They put their life vests on and they get on the paddle board and they start to go. And the wind's at their back and they're going and they're having a good old time. And I go and put my my uh, life jacket on and I go to step on the board and I just fall. (laughs) And now I'm wet. So this is no fun. So I'm trying to get into it and it's not happening. And finally I get on, but I can't stand up because as soon as I stand up, I fell off again. So now I've got a knee on the board and I'm using the oar and I'm paddling and I'm going out and they're like 200 yards in front of me because the wind's at their back and they're all light. And so they're over there and so finally, the wind at my back, and we're going, and, and finally I get to the place where we're hanging out and having a really good time, and then it's time to turn around. Uh-oh. And my sister-in-law's, no problem. My wife, no problem. And I'm starting to go, and I'm like in the middle of the lake, and I'm literally going nowhere. In fact, no, that's not true. I was going backwards as I was going, <laughs> doing this, and the wind's at my face, and I'm going 
nowhere. And junior hires are laughing and pointing at me. And if I can be laughed at by a junior hire, you know something's up, right? Like, and so it's just terrible. It's embarrassing. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I guess I'll just drown myself. Like, I didn't know what to do. And then far off in the distance, I see my sister-in-law, Bryn, all 90 pounds of her. She's on her paddleboard and she's coming at me. And I'm so embarrassed. I'd love at this point to say, oh, I, I've, I caught someone drowning. That's why I was out there. And I grabbed them and then I baptized them and they love Jesus now, right? <laughs> now, she was, she was coming to me to help me because her brother-in-law literally couldn't go anywhere. He was floundering, flailing. And so she gets, she hooks up her board to my board and she goes, just hang on. And I was like, no, I'll help. And I'm trying to help and it's not helping. I was like, all right, I'm sorry. I, just, I think I just laid and I was like, like hands and feet in the air. She just pulled me to shore. It was embarrassing. It was difficult for me to give up control. But it was such a great illustration of the gospel because I can't do anything to get to shore. Jesus comes to me and he hooks up his raft to my raft and he does for me what I cannot do for myself and he pulls me to shore. And the reason I end with that is this, not because I just want a gospel illustration to be in every sermon, but what a waste of time if we gather together and we just assume every single person understands the gospel. The gospel is not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about him doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. The fact that you put in no effort of your salvation, but God just freely came. He was patient with you. He was loving to you. He was gracious to you. And he came and he saved you. But if you're trying to work your way to him, there's no way that he can save you. 